Timothy Fry. Um, our passage tonight will be from the book of Mark. Um, we'll be starting in verse 13, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and we'll be going all the way till chapter 3, verse 6. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw what he was eating, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can, wedding, can the wedding guests fast? Well, the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into, into old wineskins. If he does... The wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David said when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, but not man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue. And there was a man there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, that was, that was awesome. That was a beautiful reading. It sounded like a book on tape. Like that was perfect for that. That was awesome. So that's a hard act to follow. Well, um, I, I am Ron, like Ronnie said. Ron, not Ronnie. Uh, and I appreciate the opportunity. I really do uh, to do this. Not every church is just going to allow some 
um, hillbilly to get up here on stage and talk to you guys. But this is awesome. Um, and I have really a tendency to, to babble at about 1,000 miles an hour, um, like a junior high girl maybe. So I'm going to pray that God uh, kind of calms my heart and calms my nerves and, and opens up your hearts to hear what we have today. So let's, let's pray before we start. God, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I'm humbled to, to be able to do this, and I thank you for a church that allows this and um, that takes the word of God seriously. I, I thank you for um, what we have here and for this community of believers. I just uh, give you the praise for it, God. I pray that you would engage us with this text today. Help us to feel your presence. Help us to, uh, to know that you're here, to believe that you're here, and I just pray that you would speak to our lives through this text. Just give you the praise and honor and glory for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, Ronnie has brought us up to this point in this series that is entitled Walking with Jesus as we go through the book of Mark. Uh, but what I want to look at today is how, how do we walk with Jesus? I mean, how do we, what is it to walk with Jesus? How do we get to know Jesus? Because if we're going to walk with somebody, it's going to take some amount of intimacy. I mean, we need to know who he is. So I want to look at our text today where we're at and look at how we get to know Jesus. How, how do we actually get to know him? And before we get into that, I just want to uh, give like a one-minute recap here of what we have seen thus far in the text. Uh, kind of a review here. So to start the book, we have John the Baptist. He is preparing the way for Jesus. And I know that's a super like a uh, biblical term, preparing the way. That's not something we really say now. But by that, we mean that John basically was saying that Jesus is here. He, he's here. Our Messiah is here. The King is here. Prophecy has been fulfilled, and Jesus is here. And John was also saying that Jesus' message was a message of repentance, that we, people needed to repent and turn from their ways and turn to God's way, and that God's way actually was Jesus. Despite of what the Pharisees thought, God's way was Jesus. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus uh, says things like repent and believe the gospel, some new kind of language used. And Jesus, uh, after that, he goes around, he, he calls some men to follow him, and he goes about healing people physically, but, but he also begins to heal, heal people spiritually. And this is, this is where the Pharisees uh, really have, have a problem with that. That's kind of where we, we come to our text today. The Pharisees have a major problem with Jesus claiming that he is healing people spiritually. So the Pharisees are your, we know who the Pharisees are. They're the super religious of the day. Uh, they, they are the rule keepers. They're the ones that uh, are making every effort to check every box, to know everything about God. But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to reveal actually how little they do know God. They may know a lot about God and who he is, but they really don't know who he is because to know who God is, they had to know him. They had to know Jesus, and they really didn't know that. And, and then Jesus, uh, we're seeing that this Jesus that came onto the scene actually made the Pharisees incredibly uncomfortable. They were very uncomfortable with the things that he was doing, with the people that he was hanging out with, with the things that he was doing on the Sabbath. We can see all of that in the text. This, this Jesus was making him, was making these Pharisees uncomfortable. And it, he didn't really look and act uh, the way that they had planned. So we're going to uh, dive into the text, starting with verse 13. And we're going to break it down like this. Uh, Jesus relaxes with sinners, 
and then Jesus redefines the Sabbath. I know that's alliteration, that's Baptisty, but I'm a Baptist, um, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm alliterating the sermon. He 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 relaxes with sinners and he redefines the Sabbath. Um, let's let's also keep in mind as we go through this that the Pharisees. Um, they think they know God. I mean, they, they, they know a lot about God. So they think that they know who God is. And, and they think they know that because they are keeping the law. That's what they're doing. They are keeping the law. And Jesus starts to, to reveal to them that although they know who God, who God is, they know about God, that they actually uh, don't really know who he is because they don't know him. So we're, we're starting in verse 13. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17, and we will see how... Uh, Jesus relaxes with sinners. This, uh, this would, would be totally unacceptable for a Jew in this time, for him to hang out with these people that are listed here in verses 13 through 17, to hang out with a guy that's like, that's like Levi. That is completely unacceptable for a Jew, let alone the person that is claiming to be Messiah. Now, that is, is even above and beyond. That is not what the Pharisees had in mind. This is, that, this is irking them to no end because this is not acceptable. But notice Jesus, Jesus is very intentional about what he does. He, he is very intentional about who he picks. And he picks this guy named Levi. He picks Levi. Verse 13 uh, says, after he picks the, Levi, it says that, uh, or before he picks Levi, it says he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. Uh, in verse 2. We see in verse 2 of chapter 2 that it says, And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So there's so many people gathered unto Jesus that there's not even room enough in the house to contain these people. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, uh, we see where it says that, uh, no, I'm sorry, wrong spot. Anyway, I, I lost that spot. But what, what we see is Earlier in the text, we see that Jesus' Jesus's fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus had plenty of people coming to him. He had plenty of people from all types of different walks of life. He could have chosen anybody. He could have chosen uh, the white-collar guy, the blue-collar guy. He could have chosen anybody he wanted to. But who he picks is a guy named Levi. And this guy named Levi is sitting at the tax booth. That's what he does. Now... Uh, a tax collector. That, that's who Levi is. He's a tax collector. Uh, I know how many, I don't know how many in here have a background in Sunday school, but if you have a Sunday school background at all, uh, you know some Sunday school songs. And if you know any Sunday school songs, you should know about Zacchaeus and how um, he was a wee little man. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. I've always felt very relatable to Zacchaeus, um, but, the, but never had as much money. But anyway, I don't know why, I just really feel comforted by Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and we have this little Sunday school jingle about him nowadays. But in reality, uh, tax collectors in this day are not getting any sweet uh, little jingles written about them. They're not, um, they're not having songs that are on you know, the Pop 40 list written about tax collectors because people hated tax collectors. The common folk hate tax collectors, and, and really... They hate them for really good reason. Um, they have really good reasons to hate these tax collectors. It says uh, in verse 13 or 14 there somewhere, yeah, he says he was coming, 
that he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And that's when he sees Levi. So Levi is sitting by the sea. Uh, the reason that Levi is sitting by the sea as a tax collector is because that's where the goods are coming in and out of, being imported and exporting, exported out of uh, their, their region by the sea. So Levi, as a tax collector, uh, he, he is able to assess goods, He's able to look at the goods, assign a value to them, and assign a tax value to them, and then he collects tax for those goods. The problem was that there was no set value for the goods that he was taxing, and there was no set tax rate. So uh, he could really charge just whatever he wanted. So Levi, a tax collector, working for the Roman government, would, would get Rome their money, would, would charge them whatever Rome wanted him to charge him, and then he would just add on extra on the top of that to take some off of a cell, take some off the top for himself. So these were kind of uh, dishonest people, not kind of, they were dishonest people. Uh, that's why in Luke three twelve through 13, uh, John the Baptist has people coming to him, and it says this in, in Luke three twelve and 13, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. They were taking money off the top. They were making tons of money. I mean, let's not think uh, Jesus is just dealing with poor people. That's all Jesus deals with. No, these guys had some paper. They could spend. They had money. And they were making it in seedy, dishonest ways. And that's who Jesus chooses to go after. So you have, you have Rome, who is ruling with, with an iron fist. They, if you don't bow the knee to Roman authority... Uh, they kill you. That's, that's just who, who we're dealing with. And many of the, the locals, the, many of the people in this area, they feel that oppression firsthand. They have family members that have been defrauded or, or killed by the Roman government. And then at, at the same time, they are actually being taken advantage of financially by these tax collectors. So when you see that someone is a tax collector, um, don't think Zacchaeus, who's, you know, uh, got these little songs written about him, but these are actually people that are working for possibly the most ruthless government in world history. People that were working for a government that had part in the murder and the defrauding of local people. That's, that would be kind of hard to stomach. That would be hard to stomach for us. It would be hard for us to go after the tax collector. So uh, before we say Jesus, Jesus was awesome, I, I want to be like Jesus because he hung out with tax collectors and publicans and sinners. That's who I want to hang out with. Let's just be sure we know what we're saying. These aren't, you know, these aren't just uh, your, drinking, your drinking buddies from high school that still party on the weekends. That's not who we're talking about. We're not talking about the guy downtown that's strung out on drugs and, and just needs a hand up and has a really good heart. That's, that's really not who we're talking about. No. Now, please, let's go after those people. Let's, let's go after your, your partying friends on the weekend. Let's go after the, the guy downtown. Let's go after these people. But for the, the text and where we're at, let's not make this into some romantic notion that Jesus was only just going after people that had really good hearts and just needed a hand up. This is not who Jesus was going after in this text. He's going after people that were in this day classified as sinners. And the reason they were classified as sinners is because they were taking part in these murders and defrauding of local people. So, so he goes after who he wants to. He goes after who he wants to. And sometimes that doesn't look like 
uh, the way that we think it should. It didn't look how, like the way that the Pharisees thought it should. It certainly sometimes doesn't look like the way that we think it should look. Or worse yet, uh, we just, we don't even really think about it. We just make up our own Jesus in our mind and we think, yeah, he's just going after the guy that's down and out that needs a hand up. So we don't even really think about it. But when we do think about it, when we actually start thinking, man, Jesus goes after who he wants to. And sometimes it doesn't really look like that. And maybe if I got to know maybe if I got to know who he was, I would understand why he's doing that. When we start to think about that, um, we get this uncomfortable feeling that rises up in us. What is that? What is that feeling that rises up in us that, that says, um, I can't believe that Jesus would pick to do work through that guy. I mean, I have that rise up in me. I mean, I, I feel that rising to the surface. Like, do we actually think that we're less sinners than those people? Um, but if we get to know him, if we get to know Jesus and why he's doing these things, we can, we can see it. I mean, think about some of these people that Jesus was known for hanging out with, for relaxing with. Now we think about Peter. I love Peter. I used to, I just want to read about Peter because I feel relatable, just like I feel relatable to Zacchaeus. Um, for different reasons, I feel relatable to Peter. I mean, he's this blue-collar guy that just was a fisherman, and he loses his temper and cuts a guy's ear off. I've always, you know, been kind of fascinated with that. There's people's ears that I would maybe like to have a shot at. And, but he seems relatable. He's this, you know, blue-collar, hard-working guy, sticks his foot in his mouth. But if we actually think about Jesus being willing to do work with him, Jesus relaxing with Peter. Peter denied Christ when he was around non-believers. Um, then in Galatians, Paul has to rebuke Peter because Peter is hanging out with the, with, with, uh, the people in, with Galatians and then, or Galatians. He's, he's hanging out with groups of people and then Jews are coming around and he's acting like he doesn't know. He's acting like he doesn't have anything to do with those people. And then when the Jews come around, he, he kind of backs off from them, and Paul rebukes him and says, you know, you can't be this to them, and then over here you're trying to be this. Um, Peter really is a hypocritical coward. He, he sounds really like a guy that isn't really all that nice to hang out with, isn't as cool as maybe I've dreamt him up to be in my mind. He sounds uh, not as uh, likable, but that's who Jesus pursues. And actually, Jesus even pursues the Pharisees that give him the most trouble in our text. The most arrogantly religious people in the Bible, Jesus still pursues them. He picks who he wants to pick. Some, sometimes it's everyday, ordinary people. Sometimes it's you and me. Sometimes it's the chiefest of sinners. The, these are the people that Jesus is working with. These really are the people in our text that we see that Jesus is relaxing with. He's relaxing with sinners, not just, uh, don't, don't get this romantic notion. It is people that are hardcore sinners that Jesus is relaxing with. And this enrages the religious of the day. It enrages these Pharisees. This uh, self-proclaimed Messiah didn't look and certainly didn't act like they had envisioned. He, he wasn't what they had in mind. They thought they knew enough about God to know that there is no way that this is the Messiah. But the way that they knew who God was, was through keeping the law, not through actually getting to know who he was. So we won't dive too much into verses 18 through 22, but what we have there is the same group of people 
upset that uh, Jesus' Jesus's followers aren't fasting like they are. He, they're followed that, or they're worried that Jesus and his followers are just, again, a little bit more relaxed and striving to be holy than they are in all of their holiness. So Jesus puts them in their place, and then he leads us on into uh, the Sabbath. He, he begins to redefine the Sabbath in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 6. And we're going to be mostly in chapter 2, verses 23 through 27 or 28, and he, he begins to redefine the Sabbath. When I say that Jesus redefines the Sabbath, I have to explain a little bit, because he had already defined the Sabbath. God had already defined what the Sabbath was. The Sabbath was defined in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8, 8 through 11. It was defined again in uh, Leviticus. So we see the Sabbath in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That was God uh, defining the Sabbath. That is how he defined it. The sum of the Sabbath day was to rest, was to consider all that God had done for you, to reflect on that, refresh your mind, refresh your body, and rest on the Sabbath. That was God's, uh, that was God's definition of the Sabbath. The Pharisees who actually redefined it and, and made it into following many tedious do's and don'ts. So Jesus has to come in and undo all of that and redefine it once again. So the Pharisees had added many tedious rules to the Sabbath. Uh, they had 39 categories on what constituted as work to help them determine uh, what someone could and could not do on the Sabbath. So to a Pharisee, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, like the scripture just said, that meant to follow a whole ton of rules, to be careful what to do and what not to do. They had taken what God had originally said and added so much to it. So when Jesus showed up with his disciples, uh, they were honoring the intent of the Sabbath, but they certainly weren't honoring every man-made rule that went along with their version of the Sabbath. So uh, one of those rules is you weren't allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. You couldn't pick grain on the Sabbath day. And Jesus and his followers come through, and we see in the text that they pick grain. And when the Pharisees see this, in their eyes, Jesus and his disciples had broken the Sabbath. And this really didn't set well with them. And they had become, the Pharisees had become so consumed with keeping the rules of the law, so consumed uh, with what not to do and what to do, that they had actually forgotten why the law was designed in the first place, why they were supposed to be honoring the Sabbath. Now, that's crazy. It, it, if we allow that to sit in for a second, that, that's really crazy. That is like if we go out and purchase a treadmill to uh, improve the condition of our heart, and we become more consumed with the condition of the treadmill 
than we do with the condition of our heart, the reason why we purchased the treadmill, which I got to tell you, I'm, I'm kind of guilty because I have a treadmill at home and it's folded up in the corner because uh, I've lost sight of why I bought the treadmill. So I am pharisaical in my own heart. Uh, but look what, what Jesus does here. Uh, they, the Pharisees take everything and they externalize it, and Jesus takes everything and reveals the heart of it. He points everything back to Scripture. He points the Pharisees back to Scripture. He points them back to how David ate the bread of the presence uh, when he was hungry. The bread of the presence was not for David and his men, but they were starving. you got to eat. Man's got to eat. And so he, he, he eats the bread of the presence, even though he wasn't supposed to. And he shows these Pharisees that really... Their issue wasn't really about the Sabbath. It was really with, with Jesus. Because if, if their issue was about the Sabbath, as soon as Jesus backed up what, what they were doing with Scripture, that would have been good enough. It, it would have been good enough because he had Scripture to back it up. But, but it wasn't. And, and it's interesting because Jesus is always pointing the Pharisees back to Scripture. In verse 25, he even says, Have you never read? So these people that become f- very familiar with Old Testament Scripture have actually piled on so many rules that they've lost sight of Old Testament Scripture. And that, that's kind of how it works for people that cling to these extra-biblical rules. They, they cling so tightly that they forget why these rules that they are clinging to were actually designed. What do we hold to? What, what do you and I hold to that is extra-biblical? What are we adding to God's Word that we are elevating even higher than what God's word has to say about that. What do we hold to that is extra biblical? Because we do this. We, we elevate our own thoughts ahead of what God's word has to say. And honestly, this is, this is where stuff really gets off the rails. We really uh, take some turns down some wrong roads when we start clinging to our extra biblical ideas ahead of God's word. It's where we take biblical principles and ideas and we add a mess load of rules to them. To the point where the rules that we created, we are honoring ahead of the biblical principles that we wanted uh, to adhere to. So now we're clinging to these rules more than to what God's word actually says. It's, when we do this, we start to, to see how uh, we're guilty of of knowing the right verses. We know verses like hide God's word in our heart, uh, but in reality we're not even, we're just kind of skimming through God's word. We're just kind of carrying God's word because that's just what looks right. We're, we're carrying it along. We're Bible believers because that's what we're supposed to be. But in reality there has been really no heart change and we haven't got to know Jesus at all. It, this is where our pursuit of Jesus becomes much like the Pharisees' pursuit of the Sabbath. It's, it's where our walk with Christ turns into this numb, just boring, task-oriented labor of holiness. Because we haven't really got to know Jesus at all. And this Jesus that we, we claim to know, we really, if we actually get back to God's word, we find that we are, are a bit unfamiliar with. We really don't know as well as we think we do. So what are we focusing on to draw us closer to Jesus? How do, we, how do we even get to know Jesus? That, that's, that sounds crazy, to get to know Jesus. Like the song says, I cannot see him. Like how do we get to know somebody that we can't even see? And are the methods that we're using to, to get to know Jesus, are they even rooted in Scripture? 
because uh, these guys, these Pharisees, they were using a ton of methods. So that's another question. Does, does God even want me to use methods to get to know him? How do we get to know Jesus? The methods that the Pharisees were using seemed to annoy Jesus. But look what Jesus does with the Sabbath. He mashes up all these rules into a couple verses, and he cuts straight to the heart. He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's what he does to it. That's what he does for us all the time. He cuts straight to the heart of everything. And I know sometimes when I'm like, yeah, Jesus is just after your heart, and it makes me, like, I can just proclaim, like, yeah, go get him, Jesus. Go after our hearts. But in reality, this makes me extremely uncomfortable when Jesus wants to go after my heart because in reality, I want that list. I want the list of things that I have to do to be holy. I want that list. But the problem is, as soon as I create that list of things to do to be holy, I end up pursuing the list, and then I kind of forget about pursuing Jesus, and I just pursue the list without uh, getting to know who Jesus is. Uh, th- this is. This is not really knowing Jesus, just pursuing a list. Uh, it, it kind of, at times, the list can drive us away from, from Jesus. If you think of a couple who gets married, uh, and they, they, have, they have a baby, and the, the mom stays at home, or the mom doesn't work, or the mom does work, for all that matters, and they, they, maybe they seek to uh, get better careers so that they can provide for their family. So the dad goes out, and he works more hours, and he, uh, he climbs the, the ladder of success, and he's putting in tons of hours, and he's starting to travel, and the, the job that he took to provide for his family is now the one thing that's driving him away from his, fa- from his family. That, that's what's going on with the Pharisees. That's what the, the things that they have created to draw them closer to God is actually pushing them away from God, and they don't know him at all because they don't know Jesus. This is what's happening uh, to us when we only pursue God with um, some task and never really pursue the heart of Christ. This is what happens in Matthew. Jesus has some strong words for the Pharisees in Matthew 23, the last part of 28. It says, uh, Outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus does not only want that outward conformity. And in chapter 3 we, we see again in verses 1 and 2, the Pharisees are again watching Jesus to see if he'll break another one of their Sabbath laws. And he pointedly asked the Pharisees a question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? Now, there was no law, not not in God's law that he had written and not in the Pharisees' law that they had added on to God's law that said anything about doing good on the Sabbath, saving life on the Sabbath. And so the the Pharisees were silent. They, They didn't have an answer for Jesus and this, uh, this anger, just like it angered Jesus, like we just read in Matthew 23 with the, the Pharisees, it, it angers Jesus again. It, it says that he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. So Jesus took the Sabbath, something that had been made this ritualistic day. The Pharisees had made into a ton of rituals and exposed how the Pharisees, in their attempt to honor the Sabbath, were actually dishonoring it because their hearts were so dark. He redefined the Sabbath by showing that you can follow all the extra biblical rules with the Sabbath and still dishonor God in your heart. 
He made the Sabbath just like he does every issue about the heart. He made hanging out with sinners. We, we saw earlier, hanging out with sinners like he always does about the heart. That's what he does. He doesn't always, he, he didn't in these texts, as you can see throughout Mark, we'll see that Jesus didn't always operate the way that the Pharisees thought he should operate. And he doesn't always operate the way that we think he should operate. But if we took the time to read God's word and see who he is, who Jesus is, we could start to get to know what he is after. And, and what he is after is our sin. He, he is after our sin. He came to crush it on the cross. He, he's not only here to, to uh, clean up our act, but he's here after our sinful hearts. He wants our sinful hearts, not just our outward conformity. So the title of the message is Getting to Know Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we get to know Jesus? Because if, if I'm being honest... At times it feels very elusive. It, it feels elusive. Like maybe I should uh, wake up at 6 every day and get to know Jesus, but I don't really want to wake up at 6. And then I start waking up at 6, and it slides back to 7. And I, and, and I find myself making a list, and, and then I feel like Jesus is near, and then Jesus isn't near. Or did I move? Did Jesus move? Uh, so getting to know him seems difficult sometimes. So how do we get to know him? Well, I have two points. And I'm not... I, I'm really, I'm going to make, I'm going to list two things after the whole talk about not making a list. I'm going to make two points on how we can get to know Jesus. And the first thing that I think of is don't strive only to do what Jesus did, but strive to be what Jesus has called you to be. The Pharisees are trying to do what they think God wants them to do, and they're doing it with no heart change. They've read the law, they've added to the law, and they're trying to do exactly what they think God wants them to do without conforming on the inside at all. But we need to, to study God's word not just to gain information about who he was, not just to only mimic him and, and not have any real heart change. We, be, we become no better than those Pharisees did when we only pursue God to just do what he did. That's, that's not cutting to the heart of it. Our walk with Christ then becomes just this list of things to do and not to do. It, it sounds good, though. It really does. A nice list of things to do for you to be who you were called to be. It sounds like a book you could probably pick up uh, right now, five things to, to be who God has called you to be. But uh, we need to get to know who Jesus is and see what he's like so that we can be like him. So we can be what he has called us to be and not only just um, try to do everything that the law tells us to do. So if we read this text and said, all I want to do is just do what Jesus did, we could read it and we could think, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to eat with tax collectors and sinners. Um, I'm never going to fast because Jesus... Jesus and his disciples didn't fast. I could probably get behind that one, although I'd probably need to fast. And I, I'm, I'm going to look for some nice things to do on the Sabbath day. If we wanted to just, just do what Jesus was doing without any real heart change, that's what we could do. And those are admirable aspirations. Those are good things to do. But in pursuing just those things, the heart of Christ is actually missed. So the question for us is, are we missing the heart of Jesus? In our pursuit of him, are we actually missing the heart of Jesus? If I wanted 
to get a glimpse into Jesus' heart, I could look at this text and I could say that Jesus ate with the least popular, least lovable people on earth. I mean, people that, honestly, you and I wouldn't invite into our homes for fear of just ridicule or social outcasts. He, he ate with, uh, with tax collectors, the least lovable people on earth. He was, he was actually so consumed with other people that he didn't really care about his status or his street cred. He didn't care what the neighbors thought. He was consumed with other people. I could read this text and see that his followers were so excited about being in his presence that on the Sabbath day, uh, the reason that they were probably picking grain, walking through the field and picking grain, is probably because uh, they didn't have anything to eat and they're just grabbing grain on the way to the, on the way to the synagogue. They're just looking for anything to eat, and and they were so consumed with being in his presence that they just ate some grain. They didn't even really care what they had to eat. And then I can see that Jesus uh, on the Sabbath day, a day of refreshing and uh, relaxing, that he was still concerned with the needs of others. He healed a guy on the Sabbath day, on the day of resting and refreshing. He's so concerned with other people that he's never too busy for him. He always has time for anybody. That's when I start to get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. That's when I can start to know who Jesus is. I can see that Jesus isn't just trying to be contrary. He's not just uh, bucking up against the Pharisees just because uh, they're religious and he doesn't like that. But at the same time, he's not backing down from the Pharisees. He's not, he's not backing down at all. What, what he really is doing is he's boldly laying down his life in, in service to other people. And at the same time, he's standing in the way of the people that in verse 6 of chapter 3, it says that they... Uh, they were seeking how to destroy him. So he's standing in those people's way, but at the same time laying down his life in service to others. That's when we get a glimpse of who Jesus has called us to be. Know who Jesus has called you to be. Not just mimicking him with no real heart change, but mimicking him with the heart change. Be who Jesus is. And my second point is uh, that I can see drawn out of this text is know who Know who Jesus is, not just who we think Jesus is. Um, It is said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I I would tend to agree with that because really it dictates everything that we do. It dictates uh, the way we think. It dictates the things that we do, the things that we don't do. Uh, What we think about God is of great significance. So know who Jesus is. Don't just make up who we think Jesus is in our mind. Many people act as if there is no God at all. They don't care if they offend God. They don't care uh, to think about him throughout the day at all because they really don't think anything of him. So they're not going to think of him. But for most of us, we, we believe that there's a God. Uh, we certainly believe that he's uh, working and he's in action. Most of us here probably believe that he is sovereign and in control of everything. But we don't always think of him accurately. We are certainly guilty of, of not thinking of him accurately or not thinking of him enough. So... What this leaves us with is, is a few different, few different kinds of people. Some, some people operate out of fear. Some people just have this general fear that God is waiting to um, just slap them upside the head and knock them down with a lightning bolt. But now, don't get me wrong, we should fear God. Solomon says in, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, to fear God and keep his commandments. But many of us are walking in just a general overall fear, not enjoying any type of freedom in Christ because we're so fearful that we are overlooking his love and his patience for us. We, we fear him as if um, he's not willing to work with anybody. And if we 
we look through the text here, we can see that he is willing to work with anybody. Some believers, this is where I kind of fall in, I think. I'm not trying to give any, like, a personality test or anything. But this is just kind of where I fall in. Where you operate out of this, this low level of guilt. Where, like, for me, I'm so opposed to the uh, uh, shiny hair, smile, prosperity gospel that I tend to come over here with the poverty gospel. Where I'm, I'm just so, um, my humanness and just, who I am before God and all of his godness leaves me feeling like he couldn't possibly want to do anything through me. And if he does bless me with, with talents or he blesses me with wealth or uh, a great family or whatever, health, it leaves me feeling guilty about those things. Or maybe you're a person that your past sins have left you feeling unworthy of God's grace. Whatever it is, these are all results. And that's certainly not every every category of of person, but whatever it is, these results, these are results of us just not knowing uh, fully who God is. It's us not getting to know who God is. It's just plugging in what we think about God. Uh, are 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 you indifferent towards God? Do you operate out of fear all the time, never really enjoying the freedoms that He actually purchased for you on the cross? Uh, who do you think Jesus is? These are questions that we should ask. Who, who do we think Jesus is? What do we think Jesus is up to in our lives? Don't allow your inaccurate thoughts, the thoughts that you've just made up about Jesus in your mind, don't allow those thoughts to dictate your relationship with him. Get to know him. If you're a believer, get to know him. Get to know who he is. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law... For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in, in, the, fle- he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See what God has done for you. Open your eyes and, and look through the scriptures and find it over and over again in the scriptures of what God has done for you. See what he has purchased you on the cross. Look at that freedom that he's purchased, you, purchased for you on the cross. Find that story over and over again and fall in love with who Jesus really is, not who we think that he may be. So if you're a believer, just look to the cross. If you're here and you're a non-believer, man, look to the cross. Just like a believer should look to the cross, look to the cross. Look to the cross as a non-believer. Don't spend your life thinking that you know who God is, but only allowing what your own thoughts are to dictate that. Get to know who he is through his word. Pray about that. If you're a non-believer, pray that God opened your eyes to who he is. Don't don't think that he's just this angry, indifferent just being that's in the air uh, that doesn't really care about you, and if he ever does, it's just out of anger and wrath. That, that's not who he is. The cross has already proved that. The cross proved that Jesus meant it when he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. So Jesus is, is standing, arms open, really, and saying, tax collectors, come to me. Pharisees, come. Uh, Peter, Peters, come to me. Fearful people, come to me. Indifferent uh, if you're wrecked with guilt, come to me. Sinners, come to me. 
He's, he's inviting everybody to come. Know who he is. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you so much for, for this opportunity. I, I give you the praise for it. I just pray that your word would uh, reveal to us who you are, that you would help us through your word to get to know who you are. Open, open our eyes. If there's non-believers here tonight, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to who you are. Uh, give them discernment and um, convict their hearts for their need of you. I pray that you would uh, move believers and, and give them the courage to uh, get to know you and give us the steadfastness to walk with you this week, to, to glean more from you, to lean on you through this week, and, and to really know who you are. We just thank you and praise you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.